Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Alex Lawson. Amber, uh, it's great to be here as always. Can you pass the gravy, please? Uh, no gravy on my Thanksgiving table. I don't like it. Haley. What? Haley Kanath, my <laughs> other co-host, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Mashed potatoes with gravy. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. That's that's high on my rankings, too. The, Amber, that's really crazy. Well, this Amber. may be one of our the one of many disagreements we may have over our Thanksgiving special show. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are returning to form for many years. We had used this space as the best of our offbeat segments where we revisit some of our favorites, give some updates, some thoughts we've had on them after a little reflection. We do it in part because the thing I'm most thankful for all year are the laughs I get from these odd legal stories. Yes, uh, we have a couple of interesting ones to talk to you about. It was a t- There were a lot of contenders this year, I feel like. It's been a while since we did this in a, in a proper way. We got three for you, uh, including one to close out the show that we hope will give you a little peek behind the pro se recording process and the burdens that we foist on our producing team. <laughs> Uh, if that is interesting to you, please stick around for that. I wanted to start us off, though, with a episode from way back in the beginning of the year. This ran, this published on January 28th. It was episode 233. And we'll just, we'll throw it right back to that segment in just a minute. It involves a pretty high-profile litigation brought by some individuals who were very, very displeased with what they thought was a, uh, a misleading movie trailer. Let's uh, revisit that one. We like to end our show with something offbeat. And uh, Alex, I love that we have movies to talk about again. We're, we, we're, we're going back to movie news. Um, you know, on Pro Se, whenever we talk about the ADA, we're usually talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Not so. Not this time. Today, we're talking about Ana de Armas. Uh, do I have any Ana de Armas uh, super fans in the chat? Oh, definitely. But you can't. No one calls her ADA. Is that a thing? Is that a, uh, is that a gossip thing I've missed? I, I don't know if you were listening 10 seconds ago when I did. Uh, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, Initialized her. So, nice. Yeah. Well, okay. If, if you're a fan of Ana de Armas, query this. Are you a big enough fan of hers to sue over not? seeing her in a movie because if you are i have got a class action for you Um, (laughs) there uh two men uh last week filed a class action a proposed class action in california against universal studios for promoting ana darmas's appearance in the 2019 film yesterday only for her to be left only for her scenes to be left on the cutting room floor These guys say in their suit that her presence in the movie's trailer and then her subsequent omission from the final cut really devastated them and deceived them (laughs) to the tune of, uh, it's a $5 million damages request. Of course it Uh, is. Damages request should always, yes, damages request should always be taken with a grain of salt when you file a complaint. I think we know that as legal journalists. Here, uh, you know, this is just kind of a minimum under the various um, California uh, laws they're suing under. But that's the basic gist of it. Um, Here's what I love about this. Okay. Um, You often hear stories about, you know, maybe not someone of her stature. I mean, she's gotten very popular. But Mm -hmm. you hear a lot of stories about other actors who think they're going to be in a movie. They gather all of their family or a TV show to, like, watch the premiere and then tragically realize everything they shot was cut. You don't hear fans a lot being the ones who are aggrieved. 
Yeah. It's usually the actors themselves. Well, these guys are aggrieved. Um, they <laughs> are uh, they are alleging uh, it's a it's a basic fleet of like false advertising, unfair business practices. Just to walk you through it here, they they both plunked down three dollar three American dollars and ninety nine cents to Amazon to rent the movie after they say they viewed the trailer. And Ana de Armas is in the trailer, and she's nowhere to be found. And they're uh, they're seeking restitution. I, uh, uh, Dean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I just I gotta wonder how they're gonna certify this class. Am I in this? Because I because I watched it and had a light disappointment. Yeah, I just I, I, well, th- there's a lot of little details here that I'm I'm wondering how they're gonna get filled in. Uh, there but pretty are, much, I mean, if I if I plunk down three dollars and ninety nine cents on Amazon to rent this bad boy, am I in? Am I in this suit now? I mean, I mean, I guess you would have to attest to being sort of disappointed or or feeling deceived about um, the reason you plunked down the money, right? Of of seeing her in the trailer. It would make you similarly situated for sure. Yes. I was I was certainly a little disappointed with yesterday, but not not for this reason. I don't know if yeah. I could sue, but let me I, talk uh, to my lawyer. Now, Alex, this case does have some bearing, some resemblance to another lawsuit, isn't that right? Yeah, this has popped up in some of the some of the first round of reporting on this case, which is sort of a occupying the funny pages of the legal beat, like it is right now on Pro Se. Um, <laughs> there was a 2011 lawsuit in Michigan over the Ryan Gosling film Drive where the studio got sued for a trailer that made that movie look like, quote, a high-speed action driving film instead of it's, uh, if you've seen it, it's kind of like a slow burn, hyper-violent character study. And that got tossed after the judge basically found that the trailer wasn't deceptive. I like that one even better than this one over yesterday because (laughs) have you ever seen those things that pop up on YouTube pretty regularly where they'll take like, I don't know, the opening sequence from Shit's Creek but when you put it to the music of succession it's suddenly very moody and like a drama yeah, like, right, yeah. I love those things where you're like oh if you just cut this differently suddenly it's a horror movie or whatever mm, yes yes so or like, that one yeah. tickles me in a way that just leaving out the actress is not as funny as that that yeah. allegations that drive should have been just a another Fast and Furious. Yeah, right. this is this is more binary. I mean, they're saying we thought this actress was in it and now she's not rather than like the mood that it casts or whatever. This also, um, <laughs> my sister was visiting me this weekend and, um, you know, it's Omicron's everywhere. So we were in my house on Saturday night and we sit down to watch a movie. We're flipping through some stuff and there's a Netflix movie called, oh, I can't remember. It's a rom-com one. It's called like the the fix up, the matchup, something. Um, and I've actually set it up. It. Is that what set the, it up. Uh, That's set it up, set it up. Yeah. with uh, Glenn Powell adver- and yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are now advertising it with a thumbnail of Pete Davidson, who oh, is barely in yeah. that movie, mm. oh, but he's Netflix very popular now. Yes. Oh, yeah. So this is common practice in the movie industry to you uh, know, hype up yeah. some stars. Yeah. Um, but you know, usually they're in the movie, even, right. uh, even <laughs> right. in a he minor way. In Pete Davidson. He is in it. Yeah. Um, so I'll be interested. I honestly will be interested to see where this goes. I'm a little bit of a trailer head. I love watching movie trailers. And Same, like yeah. I've definitely noticed discrepancies well, like when 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 stuff is cut and it's noticeably cut. I, I mean, I've never even given thought to taking legal action over it. We'll see where it goes. But like the um the Rogue One trailer comes to mind. I don't know if oh, any, yeah. any Star Wars so tons in the of, chat. Oh yeah, tons of stuff that never actually showed up. Yeah. That was like famously chopped up in post. Right. But you know, um, there, there's like a whole other movie that nobody ever got to see. We'll get out of here on this. I'm considering bringing some legal action of my own related to Anna Armas movie. She's Great. got a couple. She's got a couple projects tied up, uh, in like development hell. 
And I'm thinking about just suing to get them out. Do you guys know about this Marilyn Monroe movie she's making? I have oh. heard of that, yeah. It's yeah, called, it's called, it's called Blonde. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like, I guess it's like this like hypersexualized like, uh, you know, vision of her life and like the, the director's fighting with Netflix over it. And also, Amber, you'll get a kick out of this. She's in like an erotic thriller with Ben Affleck, who she used to date, which oh. is called Deep Water. Which Oof. is the directorial, uh, the the return to the director's chair of Adrian Lyne, who gave us Fatal Attraction, yeah. Indecent Proposal, and Unfaithful. I was legitimately like hyped for this movie, and it's like it's going to get buried somewhere. I think because I think that's more of their like PR people because they don't date anymore, and it was going to be all. Alex, right. I feel like you have at least five million dollars worth of claimed damages on your yeah. plate there. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to mention, by the way, when Dean was talking about like how these guys came to came to think to file this lawsuit. Uh, one guy lives in California. The other guy lives in Maryland. And <laughs> they somehow found a lawyer that said they two of these guys have common claims. Let's see who else is uh, feeling <laughs> feeling jilted here. What a match. And that's how they knew it would be a class action. That's, that's I, I mean, before yeah. that, it was one lawsuit. And they said, like, no, we there's dozens of us. We got two. There's literally dozens of us, probably. So, um, yeah, the... Uh, the the Ana de Harmas high. And honestly, the other the other thing is this is really a win for Stan culture. You know, the, <laughs> oh, the, sure. the Ana de Armas Hive demands restitution. So uh, if you're interested in that, uh, keep your eyes peeled to this one. It's fun to revisit that one because it's from so early in the year. We still had Dean Seal on the show I know. back then. So a I nice know the shout ghost out of there. Dean. <laughs> the, the ghost of hosts past. Uh, <laughs> from truly beyond the grave. The holiday season, yes. It also made me think, you know, there's a broader question there about what movies since listening, is the, since doing that episode, have we all watched where we feel so aggrieved we need to sue over them? <laughs> That's well, not what, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, Don't please. Worry Darling hype, you know? I agree, oh, Haley, that was going to be mine too. Yeah, we don't <laughs> have to get into that whole discourse, but I'd sue over that movie. I'd also like to say that I mentioned too that at that time, unreleased Ana de Armas movies have both since come out. I saw them both and I can see why they were buried a little bit. Uh, the blonde, oh. the Marilyn Monroe movie was a bold and interesting series of choices, but ultimately, I think a failure. And then Deep Water was just like this weird, trashy, pulpy thing where Ben Affleck was like raising snails and stuff. It was <laughs> super weird. I don't know if you guys caught that one. Uh, happy um, to have skipped that one, honestly. Okay, I did want to. There is an actual substantive update, though, not just any movie takes we want to fire off, though I could do that all day. So first of all, this suit is still alive. I think we all kind of were like snickering a little bit, thinking this might be on some flimsy ground, but it's still going through. It's in California Central District Court. And according to the most recent filing from the studio, from Universal, they are now sort of caught up in this debate over whether the trailer for a movie and for this movie can be considered a commercial speech. And what that is, is like speech by a company that is protected by the First Amendment, but still has certain restrictions. That's how we get like deceptive advertising laws and right. consumer, like, like product labeling laws, things like that. It's like, yes, you have the general freedom under the First Amendment to say things that you want, but you can't mislead people. You can't deceive people in certain contexts. Um, it's turned into like sort of this quasi intellectual debate about what a movie trailer actually is. Here is a, here's just a brief statement. I won't, we don't have to go very deep into it. Maybe we'll be able to revisit when there's a ruling. This is uh, from an October brief just last month from Universal. 
Plaintiffs argue the trailer is commercial speech because, just like ads making statements about price or quantity, the trailer allegedly affirmatively represented that ADA, that's Anna Armas, and other content was in the movie when she and it was not. This movie fails because nothing in the trailer stated that Anna de Armas would appear in the final version of Yesterday. Plaintiffs concede that they have pleaded only that they interpreted the trailer as representing all of those things would be in the final movie, not that an explicit promise was made. They go on to talk about the fact that, you know, it's not just a commercial, even though it literally runs as an advertisement on your television. The trailer is a creative work that plaintiffs concede transformed scenes from yesterday. Plaintiffs claim that the sole purpose and effect of this transformation was to create a movie commercial, and that is a conclusion that is at odds with the facts. Plaintiffs do not and cannot deny that trailers are creative, expressive works in and of themselves. That's why there are news articles devoted to discussing the best movie trailers of all time and recognizing that trailers are an art form with many of the best trailers, including zero pieces of footage from the films they're promoting. So they go on and on from there. And that just kind of opens up what would what could easily be plucked out of a law school class. OK, I love this so much that this I think it's is now an issue in the case because yeah. it's the perfect like have some drinks with your friends and try to hash this out. Because part of me initially was like, uh, isn't a trailer just a commercial? What are we doing here? But then the more you think about it, and then when they bring up like, there are lists of the greatest movie trailers of all time. And I know, Alex, you and I've talked about this before. We both love watching movie trailers. Love it. I, I never miss them the when I argument. go to the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see the argument that this is its own art form. I'm sure a lot of editors would agree with that sentiment. So there's points on both sides here. Makes it perfect to talk about if you're wondering how to avoid political conversations with your family at Thanksgiving, talk about this. Just yeah. talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good call. I didn't. That's that's sage advice from you. I think. Well, our next clip here. I I was gonna say you should bring this uh, topic to your Thanksgiving as well, rather than politics. <laughs> but perhaps only if you're seated at the kids' table. This one. This was from August, and uh, it it has to do with um, a little something in the mail that you probably. <laughs> don't want to receive in your mailbox. <laughs> we like to end the show with something offbeat. And Haley, you've got the floor for quite an illuminating story this week. Um, and I want to give you the space to just tell us what's going on here. <laughs> illuminating is uh, a, an interesting word for this one. So, you know, every now and again, our coverage here at Law360 takes us to some interesting places touches on some perhaps surprising topics. That is certainly the case here because this week's offbeat has to do with poop. I'm Not so, just poop. I'm, I, I, I mean, I'm so in favor of poop. If I can interrupt <laughs> you, I just, I just generally and as a pro se topic, but okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Amber's gone. So we're just taking this one fully off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We're not just talking about poop. We are talking about poop in the mail, (laughs) which is a whole different, in my opinion, tier of poop (laughs) topics. So the the reason we're... (laughs) I'm really taking a long time to tee this one up. But the Office of Republican Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan recently received some mailed feces, and that was on our radar. 
uh, here at Law 360 because a former court mediator is supposedly the one who mailed it to him. Congressmen, congresswomen are, they're public figures. I'm sure they get sent crazy stuff all the time. And I actually would yeah. bet that this is not the first time that someone sent poop to a member of Congress. I was like thinking that too. This has got to be, I wonder if that's like a specific job in yeah. the mailroom for like I, the newest intern. I bet it's not the first time, but the reason we're talking about it is because of the, as you already intimated, Let's talk about this alleged poop mailer. Who is this person? <laughs> the the male pooper allegedly is named Richard J. Steinel. He lives in suburban Akron, and he was the mediator for the Portage County Common Police Court from 1999 until 2017. Earlier this month, he was arrested on a criminal complaint in charged with a misdemeanor violating a federal law that bars mailing certain injurious articles. <laughs> uh, I talked about this when we were when we were planning the show yesterday, but injurious, like I, <laughs> there there are many ways to describe like a piece of feces. Injurious articles is is I mean I <laughs> guess it qualifies again. I mean he's he's been arrested, he's been charged or whatever. This is an area of law we really have not explored. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, you know, I mean, you can call me out, I suppose. Maybe I should have explored the legal history of the term injurious articles. But first of all, let's get straight. What exactly are the feds alleging here? They say he mailed more than three dozen letters to elected <laughs> and public officials, not just in Ohio, but also in Kentucky, California and D.C., um, and this is the best part. They say the federal agents watched him put one of those letters in a mailbox that was addressed to Jim Jordan's congressional campaign. Um, and he was wearing a glove on one hand Look, while he was doing it. <laughs> that almost, I mean, it's, it seems incriminating, right? If the idea is just like there was something unsavory in the envelope or I mean I I don't want to incriminate the guy I don't know yeah who knows I, who knows um this yeah. to me the first thing that jumped to mind was uh the OJ Simpson glove obviously yeah so I was like wow okay we've got another we've got another big glove here the poop glove I mean we'll see if they if they scan this for like traces of feces I mean <laughs> This is, I mean, th what we're really talking about here is a very high-level <laughs> poop prank, which is not uncommon to anybody who's seen, you know, Billy Madison or something else like this. Do you want to, yeah. I mean, do you know of any, I mean, can I you do. speak to any poop-related crimes? Uh, I would love to crimes? share. So in high school, I'm going to leave out, you know, all names here. Yeah, um, please, anonymize anybody you want. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, even, even of the institution here. But so in high school, a lot of my friends went to a nearby high school. So I was not at this school, but one of them was the only, one of the only people who knew the identity of a phantom pooper who would leave poop in various, in my opinion, comical locations around the school, the only one that I really remember is they carved out a Harry Potter book in the library. 
which oh. I love. I, to this day, I'm like, well done. And there was poop in the, yeah. in the book. All right. yeah. yeah. But so the, the phantom pooper of this school that I will not name remains my favorite poop-related prank that I have heard tale of. Uh yeah. Hey, listen. I, I again. I don't. Um. I don't have any sort of firsthand accounts here. I only know of the sort of lighting the poop on fire and putting it on someone. Like you know, it's right, poop right. again. You know, the and classic. All of that. You have you have more firsthand uh, <laughs> knowledge there, and I really do appreciate you bringing that to the podcast today. Anyway, it was my honor. We'll see what's going on with this guy um, who, who sent the poop. To Jim Jordan and allegedly, and allegedly, we'll see what the you. evidence shows. Thank you, um, but I think that's a good enough place as any to leave it. I suppose, Amber, you were not. Uh, I was probably, not there. Probably for your benefit that Look, you were not here when Alex and I were recording that one. But I'd love to get your thoughts. Every now and then, when I miss a show, and this is true if anybody misses a show, every now and then afterwards. One of the people who was there that week will say, hey, did you agree with our decision to include this or leave out this? And I do remember coming back after being out and you guys saying, like, was it OK that this is what we talked about? And frankly, I feel quite aggrieved that this was on the program, but not because it was on Pro Se, but because I missed it. I have a lot to say. Hey, <laughs> you, you have the floor, please. OK, please. So my very first thought was, have you heard of the website? Poop senders? No, but I can no. uh, infer. You maybe, sure can. It's maybe exactly what they're what all about. Think. I never <laughs> yeah. thought I'd get to talk about this on the podcast, but here all we right. are. The day has come. Yes. Okay. So that obviously, given the name, lets people send packages filled with poo anonymously to anybody they choose. The website suggests things like, you know, you can send these as a prank to your mean boss or your ex or a teacher who gave your kid a bad grade. Like, it has all these scenarios. The website's also really funny because it says that they allegedly either send cow poop or they have more exotic varieties if you want to pay for them, like elephant or gorilla. Wow. I mean, of course, there's got to be pricing tiers. That's just good business sense. I mean, that's you're, you're leaving money on the table if you don't offer that. It could have saved the guy in this story a lot of legwork because there's a service for this. No need for the glove. No need to go to a post box. There's someone who can do this for you. but. I will say, um, if you're wondering, why does Amber know so much about yeah, poop senders? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that. I don't know about you, Haley. Yeah, I didn't really want to speaking ask at length air. about this. I promise you I've never used this service. Here's All right, why well, I know that's what it. somebody who used it would say, but whatever. <laughs> the yep. reason I know about it is because it actually was involved in a lawsuit. And the lawsuit title, hilariously, was United States of America versus poopsenders.com, which oh yeah. on the face of it, great. And the lawsuit, in part, and this is why I read about it in the news, I think Vice had a really good article about it that was really funny, they uncovered the men responsible for the website via this lawsuit. And they, those guys had previously been anonymous. Turns out it's a father and son duo that live outside of Pittsburgh that were running this company. So I just think it's funny that this has sort of collapsed in on itself where we talked about a poop story related to the law because of who was sending it. And now I have an, you know, this tidbit to share about poop being sent through the mail that was also revealed through a lawsuit. So all roads come back to legal stories. Yeah. Fantastic. I was going to say this website can't possibly be legal if 
you know, other people are out here getting charged with misdemeanors for mailing poo. So there there's a lot of debate about whether or not this is allowed. And some of the people who've received these packages obviously say it's used for harassment. So is this website aiding and abetting harassing behavior, which in many states is illegal? So there's issues around this for sure. It's not cut and dry. But I just thought it was really great that I would have a chance to talk about how you can go for exotic poo from poopcenters.com. Yeah. yeah. And we're glad we're always we're always glad to give you a, a platform for stuff like that. Oh, thanks. Really. Part of the fun sure. of recording this show is doing a little self-analysis. And I'm personally just mad at myself that all those weeks or months ago, how, whenever it was, I neglected to call the guy the poop traitor. That seems like a layoff oh, that I missed. Oh, Alex. Also, yeah. Haley really lobbed up an OJ reference, and I completely missed it, where I obviously should have said, if the glove does fit, it's probably shit. Oh. Ugh. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I know. Well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I've never been a master of improvisation. I always work better <laughs> with some prep, as this clearly demonstrates. But uh, anyway, I'm always getting better. I'm making commitments. I'm doing the work. The future of Pro Se is in good hands. That's what I can say. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. Fine. So I'd like to do a hard pivot for our final story we're including today. I'd like to revisit one about edible art. And honestly, I think that's reason enough for me to want to come back to it today. So let's, let's be really clear that we've pivoted from poop in, in that case. <laughs> I, I, want, like, I want that to be underlined. Yes, this is a mid-year story from <laughs> May. Uh, it's episode 250. And again, just edible art. That's all you need to know. Yeah. We'd like to end our show with something offbeat. And um, how's everybody feel about modern art, particularly about unusual mediums of art? Amber, you and I live in the New York area. Haley, you live in Los Angeles. These are cultural centers. There are modern art museums. I always feel like a little bit of a pretender when I go in there. And I'm <laughs> like, this is very interesting to me. But if it's like abstract or I'm like, oh, you know, the shape, the colors, the form. Uh, I'm like doing bad Woody Allen cosplay or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, Pseudo-intellectual... <sighs> Crap. I, you I know. Key, the key is to just look just at the piece of art long enough that it makes it look like you're really thinking about it. <laughs> and then you can just walk away. Pseudo-intellectual. This is what I I'm saying. I would like yeah. to invite you guys to think about the most delicious art of all, which is cheese-based art. Ooh. So last week, Yum. two contractors for the federal government's wall along the U.S.-Mexico border reached a settlement with an artist who accused them of intentionally demolishing his art project that was created from cheese, and it was just yards away on private property from the border wall, this was a cheese wall. Oh, boy. You're just another cheese in the wall. <laughs> Look, my first thought was, shouldn't the cheese wall be in Wisconsin? But no, we're in California here. Interesting location. If I can interject for a moment, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. I grew up not far from the Wisconsin border. Just over the border in Wisconsin is something called the Mars Cheese Castle. Oh, uh, I know, here we go. I know producer Steve knows what I'm talking about. He knows. He's off mic right now, but he's laughing. He knows. No, well, here's the thing. It's not a castle made of cheese, which would be oh, really cool. Alex. It's you just can't... a medieval, it's just a medieval themed cheese dispensary. No. Uh, it, it's just a place where they sell cheese. And they were like, I mean, well, what if we made it a castle? Places that have cheese. That's also yeah, good. Um, I'm all for that. But come on. You have There's no retaining thinking. wall of cheese, which uh, is what this sounds well, like. Well, yeah. I'm disappointed. 
There, we need some some laws out there for when you can call yourself a cheese castle. A cheese castle. <laughs> because yeah. regulations stack. We also, in Nebraska, there's the Corn Palace. Of course. Which is what also is not that? made of corn. It's it's yeah. just like See, a crappy gymnasium. And no. You can, I don't want any of this. It's the difference between the description of like what is inside and what is the actual material. Anyway, Amber, what's okay. going on with the cheese wall? Let me wall? get back to things that are actually cheese-based, like really built out yeah, of cheese. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about actual cheese walls. I mean, okay. not, not cheese walls. <laughs> the cheese wall artist is named Cosimo Cavallaro. He, along with a nonprofit, sued a couple of builders who allegedly destroyed this artwork in October of 2019. They say in the suit that it was a violation of the Visual Artists' Rights Act. And that's a law that protects artists by prohibiting the destruction of any kind of visual art as long as it has a recognized stature. So that can be anything from like paintings, sculptures, drawings. In this case, I guess the wall is the equivalent of a sculpture. So that's sort of the setup for the legal part of this. But I want to dive into what exactly he built well, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm always interested in when the law defines what art is, but that's not at issue here so much. But I want to talk about the circumstances under which the wall came down. I mean, yeah. it's a very fraught part of the country. It's near the border wall. Did it? It's very hot. I don't know what kind of cheese he was using. Oh, I'll tell you. I was thinking ya. about. Oh, okay, well then, okay, well, I <laughs> I was going to step on it. So please, please tell us okay. tell us more about the circumstances of the wall and its demise, Amber. I'm very sad about it. I might cry in the middle of the segment. So okay. <laughs> Cavalier leased 14 acres on of private property in San Diego County. It was 10 yards away from the access road that got you to the actual federal border wall that was being erected. And this was obviously meant to stand in contrast to that. That's why he selected the lease very nearby. And he was using blocks of Mexican cotilla cheese that weighed more than 50 pounds each. So oh imagine my. this. I mean, this is a big, these are big cheese blocks. And apparently he had this process where he salted them and drained them of water to actually make them a pretty stable building material. Well, that's what I was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like yeah. cotilla cheese is like a crumbly cheese. And when I read that, I was like, how would that even work? But it does. If he had a process of he did. sort of turning it basically into a cheese brick. Yes. That's very much what I would envision here. The logical choice is the Parmesan with the rind. <laughs> that's basically a huge block. But thematically, if you're near the border with Mexico, you pick a Mexican cheese. South, of, yeah, If you're near the border, you, a Mexican yeah. cheese. Yes. So okay. he intended this installation to be a thousand foot long cheese wall right next to the border. Um, again, this is on private property. It was in it's no so way. It's so important to have goals in life, folks. I mean, <laughs> this I just, is, I'm I adding cannot it to my stress that list, enough. Honestly. So I do want to stress again, this was on private property and it was not obstructing any access to the actual border wall site that the federal government was working on. So his intent, of course, and this is in the uh, complaint um, in, in the suit as well. He said that it was meant to show the ephemerality and the waste in building any kind of wall no matter the materials involved. So Ooh. there you go. Deep. So it was perhaps designed to like degrade a bit? Yeah, I mean, eventually for sure. But okay, so by August 2019, this cheese wall was about three feet wide, almost 70 feet long. So we'd made My some God. significant progress on this. Nice. The cheese blocks uh, are said to eventually like 
harden and turn brown. And he compared it to how <laughs> copper sculptures oxidize, which I just think a yeah. lot of these details are very funny. It's like the Statue of Liberty, you know. A lot of people don't know the Statue of Liberty used to be the color of a penny, and then it oxidized, and now it's the delightful sort of seafoam green it is today. Why aren't we building more things with cheese? Haley asked the right question, though. Why aren't we building more things out of cheese? Uh, that's, we got to ponder that. So, okay. It hardens. So it codifies. <laughs> here's where the trouble came. The companies working on the government's border wall came to the site, they used large construction vehicles to dismantle this cheese wall. Uh, it was over six feet tall at its highest point, so they had to literally like plow down a bunch of the blocks. They ground cheese into the ground. They <laughs> full-on removed other blocks from the site entirely, leaving basically all that was left in their wake was rubble and dirt. It was pretty much demolished. Somebody gave the order, Mr. Gorbachev, <laughs> camembert down this wall. I was oh, waiting for wow, you to make great. a joke of that. Color, Nothing? Alex. All right. Never mind. Okay. You were waiting okay. on Alex anyway. to make a cheesy joke? Sure. I mean, there nice. are only so many cheeses. I, you know, I, I probably could have done better. But okay. So they killed the cheese wall. We don't know the exact contours of the settlement that was reached here, but I did want to give a couple more details about, you know, the claimed damages. So the artist said he'd been deprived of the opportunity to communicate his artistic message through the cheese wall, a message that he has spent years <laughs> contemplating. And to see the cheese wall at its full length stand in contrast to the border wall. <laughs> the cheese wall at its full length. Oh. I just like that they literally, they no other name. It really is called the cheese wall. That kills me. So in addition to the economic harm, they say, uh, from the loss of the actual materials, because there was a lot that went into making these bricks and getting them to the site and all of that. The destruction also apparently allegedly limited this artist's opportunity for further exposure for the work but also for him following through on plans to take some of the cheese bricks and cast them in bronze <laughs> to display them at museums and galleries around the world after the installation of the cheese wall was complete. He had big plans. Wow. So really, we're all affected by this. Yeah, we're never going to walk into a museum and see that bronze depiction of one of the cheese blocks. It's really disappointing. I've known a few people who have been visual artists. None of them have worked with cheese. As a medium. They're not real artists then. That's right. Well, I mean, that's, right. that's not really for you or I to say, but I, but <laughs> I anyway, feel comfortable with you saying it, Haley. I suspect, does this guy, I mean, does, does he often work with cheese? Are there other cheese projects or was, did he wake up one day with an epiphany to do a cheese wall or was this building from something? Thank you so much for asking because this is all I really <laughs> wanted to talk about in this segment. So he has, in fact, been a professional artist for more than 30 years. He's long used perishable mm. items. Uh, he's used ham in previous works and also chocolate. I could get behind some chocolate art as well. Just want to put that out there. But he's also dabbled with cheese before. He's previously covered a chair, a house, and even British supermodel Twiggy <laughs> in melted cheese for some oh. of his pieces. So he's got a long history and knows how to um, use that medium to its fullest artistic potential. What a career. What am I doing with my life? I know. What are we doing? Great question. I also just want to point out in the little show doc we use, Amber didn't say it, but I do want to, I, I didn't want to glide past it. Amber wrote here, he's dabbled in fromage before, <laughs> which I really appreciate. And I didn't Thank want you. it to go unsaid. So I'm saying it, but you I appreciate wrote that. It. I couldn't so, bring myself to say it, but thank you. I no, I wanted, yeah, I mean, th the this world guy has to know. <laughs> he is out there on the front lines. I mean, he's literally where 
at the influx of commerce and politics and governance and all of this waging the cheese wars and all that that entails. That's right. The cheese wars indeed. My final thought for everyone and, and our listeners as well is just obviously I had a lot of fun preparing this segment because I am a big lover of all things cheese. But one thing I did before I, I sat down to, to write some stuff on our script today was Google cheese art. And I would encourage everyone to do that because you do get some expected things of like, you know, boring prints you hang on your wall that depict a type of cheese, like something you'd see in a kitchen. But you also get a lot of things carved out of cheese. So apparently this artist is not alone in finding this to be a grand medium for expression. And I think we should all pay it a little more respect. Well, I can't promise I'll be back next week because I might have to switch careers. Pursue a new career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would well, support that. I think that. that will conclude, I think that will conclude litigation con queso for <laughs> this week. It I can't speak indeed. to future segments. But, <laughs> I'd like to yeah. bring it back as often as I can, but you're right. Let's wrap up for today. So the person I truly should have thanked the most for that segment is actually our producer, Kelly Marcano. <laughs> and we're going to, share a little clip in a second so you can hear why, but I would like to defend myself by saying if it wasn't very obvious to the listeners, I was excited in that segment. I no, was alone to talk about cheese. The energy level was high across the board. We were really just, we were in our element. How, do, how many opportunities do you have to talk about a cheese wall, to talk about what constitutes art, guys? It's a big yeah. life existential question. I was psyched to talk about it. I think we all were. Here's the sort of behind the music moment, though. Well, yeah, it was It was also one of those things where, like, we said the phrase, it was one of those things where you say a phrase so many times, and then cheese wall started to, like, lose a lot of meaning for me. Oh, yes. Like, it just, it, it blends into the ether, and, like, what are we even talking about? But, yes, let's get back to the yeoman's work that Kelly did that week because you got to hear the raw tapes. Yeah, uh, I think it's time for us to play a just a little excerpt to give you the flavor of how this sounded pre-editing that our producer called Cheese Chaos. Dispensary. No. Uh, okay. I mean, it's just a place uh, where they sell cheese, cheese. And they That's were like, well, what if good. we made it a castle? I'm, yeah. Um, I'm Nebraska, all for that. But come on. There's no retaining wall of cheese, which is what this uh, sounds like. Well, I'm there, we need some some laws out there for when you can call yourself a cheese castle. A, a cheese castle. <laughs> That's right. Right. We also, in Nebraska, there's the corn palace, which of is course. also not made of corn. It's it's just yeah. like a See, crappy gymnasium. And no, can, I don't want like, to offending the, the description of like what is inside and what is the actual material. Anyway, okay. Amber, I, what's let me going get back on with to the cheese wall? They're actually cheese based. Yeah, like, I really mean, let's talk about actual cheese walls. I mean, okay. not not cheese walls. <laughs> wow! Oh wow! Uh, I would like to invite onto the mic Kelly Mercano. Please scold us at the level we deserve. Come on now. At this point, listening back to that, that clip is hilarious to me. Like, you you guys just can't help but talk all over each other. You're just so excited. <laughs> You're so enthusiastic about talking about this cheese wall that you just cannot separate and take a beat to let anyone else speak. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I find this very charming. But yeah, during the edit, this was a, this was a headache. Um, look, I mean, I know this is our Thanksgiving show. I've kind of done it to death with all the comments about what you can talk about at your Thanksgiving table, but like cheese wall, this lends itself exactly to a Thanksgiving recap show. And I'm just as excited now as I was then. 
Yeah, there was a couple periods there on the raw tape where we almost occupy a cheese hive mind, the three of us. <laughs> where we're like, like, we're like kind of finishing each other's sentences, echoes of each other's points, mm-hmm. going back to cheese, going back to the corn palace. Like it was, I, yeah. Uh, this is just a way of saying, I mean, it is, as you say, it is the Thanksgiving show. And I want to give thanks. We thank Kelly at the end of every episode, but. Especially. But truly, truly thank you. There was, I think my low point in that clip (laughs) is you can't really make out what everyone's saying because we are all talking at the exact same time, but you can just hear me say, Nebraska. It just like (laughs) emerges from the din and good Lord. (laughs) I echo everyone's sentiments. We love you, Kelly. Thank you for fixing (laughs) us. Um, Same is also true for the time Stephen Trader has bailed us out of a many a confusing conversation. But I'm going to go ahead and warn everyone, if you let me talk about cheese again on the show, I I make no promises. That's the risk you run. Yeah. It is. Well, we do now have, (laughs) uh, we have uh, started using cheese wall as both a verb and a noun, we will, you know, while we're recording, we'll be like, don't pull a cheese wall. Don't cheese wall this one up. It's a a good point. Yeah. We're trying our best for you out there, listeners, to uh, not cheese chaos this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and again, no promises, but it is something we've tried to make a teachable moment. Anything else? Uh, It's a fun show as always. It, It is every single year we do it. Great to revisit these with you guys. Want to give a shout out to our whole newsroom. They help support us all through the year. So while we're listing things we're thankful for, definitely they're high on the list. So I think that'll wrap this one up for us today. Thanks for being with me, Alex. Thank you, Amber. And Haley. Thank you. And as always, a big thank you to our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. We'd also like to thank Silent Partner and Kelly Marcano for our music for Pro Se. And we will be back next week with a more traditional show. So join us then. See you next week.